You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Welcome to another episode of Honest AF Show with me, Daniela Clark. And me, Barbara Ann Wild. Barb, we have a friend in the studio today. It's very exciting. Yes, we do. Today we have our friend Carla Harvey visiting us. Hi, Carla. Hi. Hi. So excited to be here. Yay. (laughs) So Carla is, for those of you who don't know, Carla is in a band called the Butcher Babies. Right? Yep, Butcher Babies. <laughs> <laughs> what is that name? That is a very interesting name. So it's not, uh, we, we don't actually butcher babies, so don't worry <laughs> yeah. about that. Uh, That's good. If you, are safe. <laughs> if you girls were ever uh, fans of the Plasmatics and Wendy yes, O, yes. they have a song called Butcher Babies. So when Heidi and I first met, I had answered an, a MySpace ad to be in a band that she was already in and one of the songs that we would cover in that band was Butcher Baby by the Plasmatics and we are huge Wendy O fans. When we started our band, you know, over a decade ago, we thought that would be a great name for a band. You know, unfortunately, it hasn't been so great because it's like <laughs> one of those those polarizing names that people are horrified by or they really? love it. Well, a lot of people don't remember the Plasmatics now. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I feel like I'm from an era where I, you know, researched all I could about music. I would go sit on the floor in record stores and flip through albums and I would really like research music and research what my favorite bands were, you know, inspired by and I would find things and um, I don't I think that, you know, the Plasmatics are kind of one of those forgotten bands, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And it's, it's kind of cool, though, to hear that you're such a music lover that you, you know, would l- listen to everything and research it all. Because it's so, um, it's interesting to me because I meet a lot of musicians and some musicians that I've met, I don't really know that much about music and music history. And I'm always yeah. kind of surprised by that. Well, you know, I grew up in a musical family, my uncles are jazz musicians and my mom my mom loves classic rock you know I grew up in Detroit and Mm -hmm. classic rock is shoved down your throat but I appreciate that as I'm you know get older because I I have you know a great love for all kinds of rock and roll all kinds of classical I've been playing violin since I was five and I just think it's important to be well-rounded even if you don't like something at first at least listen to it and understand why it's important to the music that you do love now Mm -hmm. I I think it's just a a really important thing without a doubt when you you say you um you grew up in detroit did you ever see that uh documentary um i think it was is it waiting for sugarman or looking for sugar it always reminds me of De- i haven't detroit seen always i love me detroit that. i love you know that whole hood scene the rap so you I know. love Eminem and all that too, but I mean, there's you know, there's also like you know, Patti Smith, Iggy Pop, yeah. like oh, such yeah. cool iconic people. There was a great like punk scene, and you know, I'm not very much into EDM, but there was a big EDM scene uh, there. Right. So there's something about being from a place that is like cold. And you can only really go outside a few months out of the year and it's gray and, you know, you're emotional all the time. Like you, <laughs> you want to make music, Madonna, you know, totally. all these people. So there's, there is a lot in Motown. Like I watched a few Motown um, documentaries lately and it's like, it's fascinating that yeah. all this amazing music, so much comes from Detroit. Detroit. Even, yeah. even yeah. the cars, yeah. like I recommend 
everyone going to uh, the Henry Ford Museum uh-huh. in Detroit. They have like the the bus Rosa Parks sat down in the uh, chair Lincoln was shot in the uh, I think uh, the car that Kennedy was assassinated in like crazy history yeah. uh, that they put in this this Henry Ford Museum and we've got the you know the first paved road in America Woodward Avenue right. where you know the the birthplace of of you know modern cars it's like this crazy place with so much inspiration now that all said i don't really want to live there anymore <laughs> i've been in la since i was a kid yeah. but um i love being from detroit i am so proud of yeah, being it's, it's there rad. And i love yeah. detroit you know, i love birmingham history too yeah, good shopping yeah. in Birmingham. Yeah, absolutely, there is. <laughs> yeah, I love Birmingham. I had a rich aunt. I have one rich aunt, and um, she uh, would nice take, to her. <laughs> she would take me lunching in Birmingham. Uh-huh. She would meet all kinds of musicians back in the day at this at this restaurant we would go to. And, oh, I was there, and Steven Tyler, you know, sat down, and I said hello to him, and I was just so fascinated because we would. She would take me to like you know the expensive so stores there, and she she always smelled like uh, like expensive lipstick you know that smell oh, yeah. if you smell like a tom ford <laughs> lipstick yeah, totally. that's like her essence that's what she smelled like and i still love that oh, it's, it's so funny how you get so, so like honed in on certain smells and mm. they bring back memories yeah. and it's doubt. funny because i have a friend also that always smells like lipstick to yeah. me and that's so I, I associate that with her yeah, that yeah. that lipstick smell of like that classic <laughs> smell of a expensive lipstick that like is wealth to me because yeah. of my aunt. <laughs> I remember she also had a fridge full of Evian waters. Oh. And this is when I, I'm 44. So this is like when I was like eight, nine. So was, that, that blew me away that, you know, you look they really were young. I was, yeah, yeah, I was yeah, going to say, skin. I thought you were a lot younger than <laughs> yeah, us. You're younger than us, but you're not a lot younger than us. Yeah, but your skin's amazing. <laughs> you Thank look beautiful. You. Thank you. But to, at, you know, at eight, nine years old to see this, like a you know a refrigerator full of bottled water, which we didn't even I didn't even know about. I didn't know right, that existed right, back right. then. And now we take it for granted. But totally, yeah. it's so funny your young mind and what you what leaves an impression on you and what you notice. Yeah. It's, it, I think I'm gonna write a song: lipstick and bottled water. There you go. That's a good one. <laughs> it sounds like a good title. So you got into music at a really young age, then, right? Yeah. So, how old were you when you got into Butcher Babies? So my band is like an anomaly in that we all were I don't want to say old because I don't believe in the word old I feel like we were but we were not 20 year old kids when we started Butcher Babies I came to LA at a very young age to play music um but it took years and years I always say it's like getting a master's degree in life you know Mm -hmm. you find the right people at the right time and you form something and it just hits so that didn't happen for me until you know 35 right you know? yeah um i always i'm trying to think of years I don't, how old am i now so right. a little earlier than that like 33 we've probably yeah. formed butcher babies so it was kind of like a last chance band you mm. know um so it's kind of neat the way it all came together all of us are now you know in our late 30s and early 40s and to get this gift of being able to um make it happen at that age was so cool. And I will never take that for granted. What do you think it was about you guys that made you guys successful and made you guys stand out? 
Well, I think it was just that we loved each other Besides so much. Besides the fact much. that you guys are knockouts. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I mean, I don't know something why, to do but... with that. But, you know, we didn't go up there with the intention of being a knockout. It's really hard for, I think, women in metal. And even if you just want to like yeah. metal, yeah. it's hard to go to a show and be taken seriously as right. a fan. Um, but as a woman that wants to sing metal... You know, first of all, metal is supposed to be a safe place, no matter what you look like, what color you are, what your background is, Very if your dad true. has money or doesn't has money. It's supposed to be a safe place. When I found metal, that was the first time I felt like a part of something. You know, I felt very alienated. I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere, but I felt like I belonged when I found metal. Mm -hmm. So then to be kind of shunned because of the way that you look mm -hmm. um, <sighs> later in life when you're trying to sing metal, like you can't sing metal, you're a pretty girl. And the other thing is even just the idea of, of beauty or being pretty that's not something that I really connected with. You know, I never, mm -hmm. I didn't grow up feeling pretty. I grew up chubby with, you know, braces and buck teeth and, you know, puffy hair. I never thought of myself <laughs> as attractive. And, um, like I said, I felt like a misfit and I felt like I found myself when I found metal. So then to be told later on, well, wait a second, you, now you can't play it. Cause now you're, mm -hmm. now you're pretty. That's, mm -hmm. it's just so weird, <laughs> weird thing. So bizarre, you know? right? So, um, I think we, we did get a lot of attention at first because we were just out there having fun with our best friends. You know, we loved Wendio. So when we first started playing, we would do the whole Wendio. Oh yeah. The um, tape on the, the tape boobies. on the tape on the boobs. And we were wild. Like I look back at photos and we would throw down. We were so punk rock. So fun. And we weren't trying to be hot chicks. We were just going up there and throwing down and, um, you know, crowd surfing and getting bloody. And, and, uh, it was just like, we were having the time of our lives and so much fun. People started to notice. And then I remember one day someone said, you're in revolver magazine. And I was that's crazy. What are you talking about? And there was a blurb from the editor that said number of times I've watched the, the butcher babies cover, Pantera's fucking hostile on repeat and we were like wow the editor of Revolver Magazine noticed us yeah and then, that's cool so people started watching our videos on YouTube and everyone had an opinion and mm -hmm. it's one of those things where whether people think that you're crazy or not or you know that they hate you or at least they're talking about you right so, Ozzy always says you know, that yeah, so it doesn't matter least, as long as you're as long as they spell your name right and you're in the press it doesn't it good there is no such yeah. thing as bad press so um, you know that I guess people were talking and we started getting tours and it was, you know, like I said, we weren't trying to be a band that was going to take over the world. We didn't know where we'd end up. We didn't know we'd be touring the world and being an inspiration to young girls. You know, if we had that knowledge in advance, maybe we wouldn't have called ourselves Butcher Babies <laughs> because that doesn't help with like radio play or sponsorship and anything like that. But and maybe we wouldn't have gone full on, you know, nipple tape crazy but mm -hmm. at the same time it's like that's what we did and we were honestly just friends having fun and yeah you know living our lives and um bringing we brought metal back to the sunset strip we were a huge part of bringing it back because it's you know how it is i mean i i dreamed of moving to la when i was a kid because i saw bands like guns and roses and right. the first time i heard welcome to the jungle and i saw the video i was like you know the hair stood up on my arms and that was like that's rock and roll. And it right. wasn't just the sound. It was a look. It was a whole thing. And there was a sunset strip. And I wanted to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. And but by the time I got here, it was like gone. Already done. It, it was, was going, Seattle. Going, gone. Yeah. <laughs> it moved. I gotta say, that was some of the best of times. That yeah. sunset strip in the eighties when all the bands Gizzaris were just up and coming. And, yeah. Troubadour and uh Gazaris and the Roxy and the Whiskey. Yeah. And, oh God, it was such it was so much fun and especially like it, you know, you're walking down 
to go see another band and there's like 50 other bands all flyering. Everybody's hitting on you. Everybody's trying to get you to go to their show. They're all schmoozing. And it was just the funnest time because part... The best part about going out was standing outside. That's what I hear when when all the clubs let out. It was, yeah, yeah, it it just seemed like a magic time. And I've got a picture of myself at 16. I, my parents took a road trip to, we took a road trip out here and I begged them to take me to the rainbow. You know, I Uh wanted a picture in front of the rainbow because I had seen it in a Guns N' Roses video. And I just like, I was just obsessed with Sunset Strip and the stories of of just being in LA. And I just, like I said, just rock and roll, everything. And so I feel like when we started playing shows, um, there was so much talk about the shows that it was like that. Like our first show at the Cat Club, um, remember that place, the Cat the Club? Cat Club? Sure. It's gone now. Phantoms um, Club. Yeah, yeah. But it was packed to the gills. People up the staircase and you know out the door all the time. It was always Del packed. Gloria was the promoter, and yeah. she, uh, you know, she wasn't going to pay us. And then, um, you know, when we filled the club, she gave us a little bit of money, and we were so excited. So you know, to actually, we talking about the, the Cat Club, yeah, right? The Gym, Cat Club, Slim Jim Phantoms Club, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, we were so excited to be, you know, because a lot of times you have to pay to play. Um, was yeah. on set strip when you're a new band right. but you know uh we were so excited it was such a great time and then like the music started to come back we would play these sold out shows you know at at the viper room and then the roxy and whiskey and it was like a magic time and then yeah. and then you know we we got that first tour and yeah. it was like the magic what was the first happening. tour that you got the first tour we did was with otep and then from there it was like Marilyn Manson and mm-hmm. you know Rob Zombie Mayhem Festival and then we did a couple black of tours label. with Black Label which yeah. were so awesome and I was scared to go on those Black Label tours you know I Zach told was sober then though right uh, I don't think Zach was yeah, drinking it that you were... no it wasn't about Zach I don't think she was scared of Zach he scared the shit out of a lot of people back no, then he wasn't scared of Zach everybody's no. always intimidated of him like oh no, god he's he was so, so sweet but he's like no, it was the so um, you know Blasco was our manager at the time. Love Blasco, and he wanted us to do a couple black label tours, and uh, I didn't know if we would fit in with the with the oh. crowd. I felt like the crowd might hate us, like judge no, you were well received. Yeah. And oh my gosh, like black label fans are the best. They welcomed us with open arms. Totally, and we, we were. It was just one of the best tours we've ever done. Oh, that's um, cool. And we had so much fun. And we we did a like I the said, guys a loved tours. you guys. Everyone was so nice and uh, we felt so, uh, you know, it was just like we felt so loved on the tour. And um, it was just a testament to metal and how encompassing it is. You know, the fans that go to the black to go go to the shows, they just want to have a good time. Yeah. They get there early. They leave late. Yeah. And they just want to hear music. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. It was it was some of the greatest tours we oh, did. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's awesome. yeah, you guys tour a lot. You did a lot of festivals. And you're yeah. doing one that I just saw that you guys have another festival that you're doing in September, yeah, right? Yeah, we're doing a couple. So we have we have maybe a tour in the works around them. We'll see how life mm-hmm. shapes up in the, in the mm-hmm. meantime. Hopefully we can all get back to normal and, and do these tours. But we have two... Um, more than a couple, more than two, but they haven't all been announced yet. Big festivals, um, louder than life and aftershock, and those are just the greatest. Like the big those festivals, because first of all, you just see yeah. all your friends. Yeah, you know? totally. We're so playing much with fun. Nine Inch Nails on one of the dates, yeah, which I'm I saw really that. excited about. Yeah, that's so. great. Yeah, it'll be good to. Yeah, I think on one of the days, Jane's Addiction is oh, playing. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, you guys are, I think you guys are playing on the same day as the Distillers too. Yeah, I'm really yeah. excited. Yeah. for that. Too. Super cool. Yeah, yeah. It's Do awesome. you like touring? Um. 
so to be honest, I don't like touring that uh-huh. much. It's not a secret. I, <laughs> I am, I'm a homebody. I like being at home. I like just being in my studio, making art. A lot of musicians feel that out. way. I'm actually very introverted and I may not seem like it, but I, I'm very introverted. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's, it's part of the, you know, part of the game. I was, I used to like be really excited to, you know, get out there and go. Um, but like I said, I, it takes you away from your family, yeah. from the, from even from my pets and just, yeah. it's very difficult. It gets harder all the time yeah, to go out you. there. Do you guys have a bus? We have a bus. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I could tour without a bus. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> so we tried, you know, in the beginning we did, um, we had like a little airport shuttle van that we converted uh-huh. and, um, we had bunks in it and then, you know, somebody in the band, which I tell all, you know, band starts, someone yeah. in the band drives. So that night they can't drink. They can't have fun. Uh, right. Right. <laughs> it's their duty to, you know, to get us to the next show. And it's just, it's, it becomes an argument all the time. And I yeah. don't want any of the guys to feel like they have to, you know, stay um, sober if they don't feel like it that night just to get us to the next city. It's it's very hard work to even just get ready for the show, right. go on stage, expel all your energy, and then drive the bus. Like, and then you have to talk to people, morning. too. Yeah. You have to, you know, after the show, you've oh, got to gosh. meet people. It's a meet and greet. And yeah. Whole thing. yeah. It'd be interesting to see how things change now with um That's with what COVID. I'm wondering, too, yeah, because they're going to usually meet and greets. Yeah, we, we have our meet and greets on the bus. Mm. We have, like, a pizza party with, with yeah. our fans after the show, and so that might be, I mean, I don't know if clubs are even going to allow even just yeah. in the venue type of hello right. goodbye meet and greet it's going to be a whole new and which sucks because you know that's the way a lot of bands uh make money nowadays too is the meet and totally. greets it's a huge yeah. part and you know a lot i know that a lot of fans are kind of weirded out by paying for meet and greets but it's a way for us to make it to the next city and to keep going on tours you know it's not just a money grab it's an actual way for us to keep doing these tours there's just no way around it anymore with the cost i think people don't realize like when music became free you know everyone's like oh no big deal you make all your money in live show just to you know just tour yeah well first of all i don't think because i manage zach people don't realize how expensive it is to tour i mean it costs a fortune yeah and even just you make your money for, for merch yeah. and meet and greets and fortunately for us black labels always made more money in merch than they ever yeah. made selling records so it's okay for us but yeah. we're we have to do meet and greets and we will do them zach's touring october november okay. but in order to get the insurance binders that we got and the promoters Everyone has to either have a clean COVID test 72 hours prior to the gig or have to show proof of vaccination. So, I mean, hopefully people won't get, you know, too crafty because I've been seeing so much stuff with like fake yeah, you that's know, what I worry uh, about is people doing the fake vaccination cards. You know what's really cool you- though? Have you seen that they do it now on your phone with with a QR code? Zach and I just got uh, I haven't seen text that messages from California. Oh, cool. And from the health thing. What are you guys on a special list or something? I'm going to show you. I'm shocked you did it because you went to the same place as us. And and you go on it and it gives you a QR code and then it puts it right in your wallet on your iPhone. And so you could scan that we've been vaccinated. It tells you what vaccinations we had, when we had them. I'll show you. It's pretty cool. Well, I think it's like, it's to the point now where it's like, you're either vaccinated, you want to be vaccinated, or you don't. And, you know, it's kind See, of... See, look, it has, like, 
LA COVID then oh, has a wow. QR code. So like a yeah. club can scan yeah. and see when you, and I have Zach's on here too, because God knows he'll never put it in his wallet. <laughs> he doesn't even know what a wallet is. He puts a rubber band <laughs> around his credit cards. That's a wallet. You know, I think that there's going to, there's going to have to be ways around it because yeah, and- most artists can't get away with touring without them. Well, we can't right. even, we can't get sick on the bus. I'm, I get sick. You know, every tour when we go down to Europe, I get violently ill. <laughs> so I, I just want to make sure that, you know, people are protected. And I, you know, I am vaccinated and I hope that many people get out there and get vaccinated yeah. because it's just, it's the way for us to get back to normal life. And mm-hmm. I'm not afraid that I'm going to get deathly ill. Although I have had young friends get very, very ill. I just don't want to get anyone else sick. I think it's really, really important. And it's important to me. So I hope that you totally know, people agree. that choose to be around me, it's important to them as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Now, your boyfriend is in a band too. Yes. <laughs> so let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, and- my boyfriend's in Anthrax. He's the drummer, uh, Charlie Benante. And uh, he's a sweetheart. He's, he's such, such a nice a guy, the nicest. And um, How long have you guys been together? forever now it, i forget how long it's been it's it, like it's i think we met at a festival in 2014 and we emailed back and forth about artwork for a while and because we're both artists and uh, yes you are then we covered uh, we, well first of all we my band covered an sod song and so i saw him backstage at this festival and he said well he asked me questions about you know why we covered the sod song and it was like the first time I'd spoken to someone and when I spoke to him, it felt like there was no one else around me. And know that it was just like this magic feeling. And, but I, you know, I was like, I'm not going to date another guy in a band. I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was just going to ask you. Yeah. Like, how do- I'm not really into it. And I just, I just feel like it's, they're all players and just, mm-hmm. you know, I, just, I wanted to protect myself mm-hmm. and not that he couldn't have said the same thing about me. I'm sure. I don't know if guys think the same way about girls and bands. Well, I'm not going to date a, that girl well i think but, that there's this there's the same insecurities yeah i yeah. think because i i hear it like because you know my daughter's in a band she's yeah. a singer and she's great by yeah the way. thank you i see it on both sides because like guys are like they'll start dating totally her and they're insecure. like are oh, you gonna go on tour yeah it like it bothers them yeah too. yeah well we started emailing back and forth really innocently just being friends and we sent each other artwork that we had innocently done, yeah, right and <laughs> You know, chit-chatted back and forth, but there was just something about him that I kept being drawn to him. And um, so we went out on our first date, like in 2015. We're just meant to be together. It's it's just that simple. There's just certain people that come into your life. We're like the same person. Mm-hmm. We were both on the same like trajectory. He was going to art school and then quit to play in Anthrax. And I had the same path. I was going to, to art school and I decided that I was going to move to LA and be a rock star. And it, it's just... I don't know, like just sitting with something, someone and having that intimacy of, you know, writing music together or drawing together. I've never had that before. And so it's a, a really powerful thing for me. And I'm just, you know, it's so cool because it's not often that couples have so many things in common like that and share the same passions. Yeah. So that's everything. I remember the first time I walked into his house, you know, we both are kind of nerdy collectors and I walked in and he had a, a stormtrooper. Uh, you know, in one corner and all this, these pinball machines and like, we've got toys all over the house. There's collectibles Oh gosh, everywhere. I need to send Zach to your house. Yeah, and I went in and I walked in and I was like, wow, this person is going to get me. And, he's, you know, because every other guy that I've dated 
is weirded out by the fact that I like to buy these little collectibles or I want to go to Comic-Con or I want to, you know, spend the day reading comic books or, you know, people don't get it. And uh, they think it's immature. And I actually lived with someone for a while and they made me put everything away. They wanted a very like clean and I like clutter and just toys. Oh, my God. I'm really (laughs) sending Zach over to you guys. I'm getting anxiety just listening to her. (laughs) I know. Like every day I'm lighting candles and like trying to meditate to just I like I love it. Asian like nothing I would seriously have nothing in my house really if if I lived alone yeah I I I would be a minimalist I love stuff and then I you know I'm a grief counselor so I was doing some research one day and I came across something that was very interesting it said that a lot of people who are collectors had an extreme loss at a young age so Charlie's dad died that's so interesting yeah Charlie's dad died when he was five my dad abandoned us when I was very young interesting and they say that people who suffered loss like that they just they don't want to miss out on everything they want you know, oh, to keep everything. And wow. um, it really, it, that you know, makes sense. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. And it definitely, um, at least, you know, in totally mine and Charlie's makes cases, sense. it seems like it, it you know, it, it fits. But okay, yeah. so I want to find out about your grief counseling. But first, I have to go back for just yeah. a second. Do you think Charlie and you are going to get married at some point? Oh, that's the big about question. <laughs> I, I hope so. You know, the one thing too it's like i feel like i have a family for the first time Mm -hmm. in my life because charlie has a a daughter she's 15 i met her when she was nine and um i fell in love with her immediately and that which was a foreign thing for me too i Mm -hmm. i wasn't sure if i'd ever want to date someone with a child because you know i've lasted this long without having children i didn't know if i would be into it or if it would be weird if it would be a constant battle um but as soon as i met her we had like a connection so, um, you know, wonderful. I, you know, I feel like I have a stepdaughter and I, you know, I have this, this man that I love. So it's been really nice, especially now that I actually physically live with them. You know, we were separated. I was living in California for the longest time. And then mm-hmm. I just moved to be with them, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. So to feel like an actual family bond is a very cool thing that yeah, I didn't know yeah. if I'd ever get to experience. So, you know, I feel like, we we would be a great married couple, but we'll see where that where How it goes. How do you guys handle the touring? If your schedules are different, if he's got a tour and then you've got a tour and you can't see each other, like, do you guys have a rule where you don't stay apart that long? Well, or? it's going to be hard because the last couple years we've been together constantly. My band didn't tour the year before the pandemic. We took the year off to write an album oh, right. and take a little break. Right. So, right. and then it ended up being two years <laughs> off, you know, two yeah. and a half probably by the time we get yeah. back to touring. So I've been everywhere with him and, you know, then living with him. So we haven't been apart in two That's you know, hard. plus years. So it's going to be hard. And it was hard when, before when we were dating and I was gone and he was gone there's just this, you know, weirdness. So yeah. I think we're going to have to make a rule where we don't let like more than a couple of weeks go by. Right. Because after two weeks, I feel like you lose that that yeah. bond. I feel like you have to see each other. And it, there's always a weirdness, right? Whenever they, like, I always feel like when Gilby goes on tour, he's on tour and we're, we talk to each other on the phone every day and, you know, we communicate every day. But then when he comes home, I'm like, oh, whoa. Whoa, yeah. you're in my space. <laughs> yeah. Because you get you know? used to your own routine. You get used to your own routine. You yeah. get used to doing things your way. And then they come back. 
And then Gilby always like walks in and he analyzes everything. He like looks around the house. He's like, oh, I see you let that plant die over there in the corner (laughs) (laughs) or whatever, you know, but it's like, it's definitely an adjustment period for him and for me. Definitely. There's definitely a weirdness even like coming home. You feel, I remember the first time I went on tour was two long months. That's a lot for your first tour. Yeah. Yeah. And so I came back and I felt like a wild animal in my home. I just didn't feel like normal and I missed like my bunk. (laughs) Right. It just felt awful awkward to be home and just be back to life and walking around my neighborhood I didn't feel like I fit in and um so and even now coming home it's still because it's like you become institutionalized almost when you're on the bus yeah so I think that establishing you know rules and boundaries and Mm -hmm. you know things will be better and we're always on FaceTime and and all that when I'm we're we're away from each other but still it's hard and you know the the weird thoughts like trickle into your head and, and, and and but you have to just kind of lock them out do you I worry mean, about that kind of do? stuff like girls on the road and things like that yeah i mean i don't worry as much as maybe i used to mm-hmm. and i also feel and this is what charlie always says someone's gonna cheat they're gonna cheat there's yeah. nothing you can do about it and such a um, new yorker it's not that we're planning on doing that to each other yeah, at right, all we don't right. want to do that to each other but i can't control what's going to ultimately happen he can't control what's going to happen right. with me but we love each other so much that i feel like especially having the family bond I can't imagine doing that to him and I can't imagine that he would do it to me. But, you know, crazy shit happens. You can never say never, right? I I never worry about it either. I mean, I did when I was, you know, Zach and I grew up together and we've been dating since I'm 16 years old. Oh, wow. So, and we went to middle school and high school together. So we've known each other since sixth grade. Zach likes to tell everybody we've been together since sixth grade. No, we have not (laughs) been, but we've known each other since sixth grade. And at first, you know, we we lived one mile apart from each other. And then when he got the gig with Ozzy and he went away for two months to see if he could write and Sharon, you know, had him go to England. And back then we didn't have FaceTime yeah. or, you know, yeah. it was like, yeah. we had Smoke to like, a payphone yeah. on the corner. And, <laughs> and, you know, I was still living at home and my mother, I'm one of seven kids. We didn't have money for my mother to be like, like, oh, you're going to go make a bunch of like calls overseas it was like dollar oh, yeah, a minute yeah. it was Killed like i'll be grounded for life for that one yeah. but so that was a really big adjustment for us and i definitely was it was a lot of times to people in my head yeah oh yeah he, he's a rock star he's gonna be you yeah, know well, this that and the other but once we got to like a certain time period where zach was just like listen if this is gonna work you have to trust me. I have to trust you and none yeah. of this stuff. And now I'm like, if you want him, knock yourself out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing too. Like when you're on the road, the last thing you want is someone calling you and nagging you every second about oh, what yeah. you're doing. And being insecure. Such a bummer. You know, yeah. we've, we've worked with people whose um, girlfriend or, you know, or boyfriend, I'm not going to like, you know, whatever, yeah. called constantly what are you doing now what are you doing now or what why didn't you yeah. answer the phone and it's like i was doing a freaking meet and greet or whatever it is yeah so i just feel like too a lot of it is when when you don't know what's happening and also there's that fear of like or that you know you're missing out on something amazing right um you know most of the time we're sitting on the bus you know <laughs> doing nothing or laughing amongst each other right or and there's nothing crazy going on but you know just missing out like that feeling of just not you know just doing whatever they're doing like that yeah. that bugs me yeah, sometimes. Yeah. But like I said, I'm I'm pretty secure in our relationship and I, I hope that he is too. And um I mean there's like nobody in the world for me. I don't even I don't even think about cheating on him or right. anything like that. I, I can't imagine. He's like 
everything to me. But, uh, you know, it'll be hard. It'll definitely be an adjustment from like, you know, two years of being together nonstop yeah. to like now you have to switch gears. Just not having coffee together. Like I can't imagine that. That's so and funny, like you're not yeah. waking up with him. And I've been getting a little emotional lately because I know that it's coming. Right. And it's like you're torn because I do, you know, I, what I wanted to be since I was a kid was a rock star on the road doing my thing. So that's very much a part of who I am. But also a part of me now is stepmom and living girlfriend and housewife and yeah. you know where we yeah you've got your birds. family now so it's it's a it's like I'm being torn but you know I gotta be true to to both sides of me so it's so you, important yeah yeah, yeah that's you really so have to have your own thing too because it only just makes you. It makes things so much better when you get together. Exactly. You know? exactly. But it's really lovely, though, that you guys both do the same sort of thing. And so you understand each other. You get it. Yeah. You know, and that I think that that probably really helps out in your relationship. It is, does. You get it. And you guys just did an art exhibit together, right? We did. And that was so, so exciting. Cool. Like I said that we during the pandemic, we made music together. Actually, today, his Silver Linings album came out. He did a bunch of quarantine jams with his friends oh, cool. uh, during the pandemic. Some really awesome people are on the album, like Alex Skolnick, John Five, Rod Diaz from Suicidal Tendencies. So many people. Um, and uh, I sang a couple songs that I normally would never sing. I did a Tom Petty song and I did a Massive Attack song with him. So that came out today and we would record my vocals in the kitchen, you know, um, during the pandemic. And then we, you know, would draw, we would make Italian mules and, you know, do drawings together. So we've got to put out an album together and, you know, have this art exhibit together this year. So cool. And I love your so art. Rad. Everybody you. listening should check out your art because I don't know Charlie's all that well, but I mean, I'm obsessed with some of your drawings and Thank I love, I mean, she draws a lot of women and mm -hmm. just like these beautiful, like pinup, but like black light poster pinup. Yeah. Like, you I've know, always uh, loved comic book art since I was a kid and pinup girls and, um, you know, very, it's all like back to that. Like I was really into the sunset strip rock stuff and that's the kind of girl that I wanted to be, but I was, <laughs> you know, this little chubby girl in, in Detroit, just, you know, in the suburbs and, um, that's the kind of girl that I wanted to be. Well, you're so I definitely feel like that's the now. kind of girl that I draw all but, the time, you know? <laughs> so I, I love, I love your art. I've been like checking it all out and I wanted to bid on the Foxy one. I kept like getting in there and it was like completely yeah. sold out right away. But I, I was getting like sidetracked on the phone. You're, you're in the middle of a transaction and then it's like, Barb, come over here. You have to do this or the kids or something. And I was just like, <laughs> shit, it's sold out. But yeah, good I'll for send, you. I'll send you a, I have I have that one, a nice print it's, of that one. So yeah, let us know next time you guys have a showing. I'd love to go. We're going to try to have one here, and we're going to try to have one in New York City. So it, oh, it would very be, that's yeah. great. Yeah, it's but it's so exciting. Charlie had never done an art show before, so it was his first time, and he was getting really anxious about it. I'm like, no, you're going to love it, and and uh, it was so cool. Like once you go in, you drop off your art, and they help you. They help you know, hang it in the spots that you want it. And when you What's look the at the name your of the gallery, company that you guys punk use, punk rock and paintbrushes, they're okay, awesome. Yeah. They're amazing. They oh, have cool. a lot of really cool. Frankie should be yeah. checking them out. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. It's so fascinating to me, but musicians, artists, they're just artists all the way around, you know, because I know so many musicians that are artists, yeah. you know, with like Ronnie Wood and like Frankie can draw, Gilby can draw. Gosh, you've got to get her doing some of these art shows with yeah. punk. They're here. 
And she would be a great addition. That That's what I was in. just thinking yeah. out loud. Yeah, like, that would be so awesome. It would awesome. be so perfect for Frankie. Yeah. It's, it's so rock. many musicians or artists. It's I really think Zach cool. would be, Zach does a lot of caricatures. Yeah. Zach would be great like if he that. spent I like, a I like minute. the sketches. Yeah. Well, most of it's, you know, X-rated and could never see the light of day. But <laughs> That's how you know, my stuff is. My stuff, you usually don't see what I'm really drawing at home. Because I'm usually drawing like a vagina on a face. I mean, if you're into comic books. Books, that's yeah, kind of like the I loved thing. like Robert Williams and, and stuff like that growing up, and um, you know Robert Crumb, and so that's just the kind of stuff that I was attracted to from him. And I don't know why, because my parents were not into art at all, but I really loved that kind of that's artwork really cool. and that very sexual art, and the, you know the kind of kitschy comics that you know is very sexualized. But that's you know a big part of who I am. <laughs> that's cool. I love it. So like, how did you go from music and art and now you have become a grief counselor? Oh, so I was an embalmer for years. What? Yes. I what? did not know that. Yeah. So what? I, so I moved to L.A. and uh, I've always been fascinated with death since I was a kid. Oh, I was going to say, you must have been, when is your birthday? October 4th. You're a Libra. She's a Libra. Yeah. Mm, that's interesting. Go ahead. But I'm sorry. I, um, you know, I wanted to be a musician when I came here and I went through a bunch of bands nothing was happening i worked for playboy i was a tv anchor for the playboy channel i, w- I did the news and that ended Man, up being, you were well-rounded yeah, but that ended yeah. up being you know <laughs> terrible they were so mean there and i was like really? i'm gonna quit entertainment altogether and go back to school for something that i'm passionate about and so i found a college here cypress college and uh they offer a bachelor's degree in mortuary science and i was like that's what I'm going to do. That's no more entertainment. I'm going to be a funeral director and balmer. So I went back to school and I absolutely loved it. And I worked at, that is um, just so wait, 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 wait. (laughs) we got to go back now. (laughs) So when you first like had to deal with someone who was deceased, like you didn't, that, Oh, it was hard. Yeah. It was hard at first (laughs) because you don't know exactly what embalming is until you do it. You know, I knew that I wanted to prepare the bodies that sounds easy right you know put a little makeup on somebody but it's it's very invasive and um definitely in embalming one you know you learn and first of all the first things that you do are you know you have to there's things that you just don't know and i'll be really graphic and gross here but we had to prop up the body first of all we get bodies from the morgue that were unclaimed and that's the bodies that we would practice on and so you have an unclaimed body that's been sitting there for you know god knows how long so when you open up the you know, the, the body, you never know what's going to, when you unzip it, you don't know if there's going to be maggots or what, what's going to happen because they've just been sitting around. So that was horrifying. And then you find out that you have to start with, you know, cleaning the body. And one of the well, first things you do. Well, don't they keep the do, bodies frozen so that there isn't, I mean, they're not frozen, but like cold, so cold there isn't maggots but and that stuff. doesn't mean that, you know, I mean, when there's germs and bacteria growing oh my God. on I you. Just, you, you know what? Just for the record, I want to be cremated. Throw me somewhere like I, yeah, cremation is great. In the ocean. <laughs> I, we, I want to be cremated as well. Yeah, but. I'm really getting into like the more natural burials where you become a tree. <laughs> That's like that. good. I want to be a tree. So it was very graphic at first and, and you know, <gasps> you prop them up and they're still like leaking and it just, so you got to clean everything. Holy hell. Wait, and wait, wait, you wait, didn't get weak. You didn't want to pass like, out. Yeah. But you know, I, fe- I felt such an attachment 
to the dead and i wanted that's what i was just to gonna ask you why i like, felt like was it you said since you were a little since girl I was a little i've been just fascinated, fascinated with, with it. death and, and dying did someone and close body to you processes. pass or you know how it, did it my grandpa died when i was young but it started before that and i don't know why but i i had well what i've kind of as an adult i've kind of got to thinking about was that the fact that since i, I was a young girl i was an atheist from a okay. very young age, okay. I didn't believe in any kind of God, devil, whatever. And I feel like because I didn't believe in that and I didn't believe in an afterlife, I felt like I had to know everything about what was going to happen. Interesting. So I became really preoccupied with like medical textbooks. I mean, since the time I could read, I would pick up in like, in like, well, I do that too, stuff. but not and, death. I, uh, medical stuff yeah. is, I love. And but. if I found like a, you know, an animal that had, died i would inspect it and try to figure out what happened and like what was going oh, on so like the forensics it was just of it, it was too. really interesting to me but i wanted to know what happens when we die is that it yeah. do we you know like is there an energy exchange do we turn into a flower like what happens and so that preoccupied me and i thought that um Maybe you know, going to mortuary college would kind of like okay, kind interesting. Of help those uh, you know those that answer those yeah. questions. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it was intense at first, and then you know, embalming is basically go open you up, go through your arteries, and, and drain from your veins, and it's uh, it's a very invasive procedure, especially in California, because a lot of times you have to open them up and and um, do it from the inside too with powders, and so I mean, it's a lot to you know, it's, yeah. a, it's a lot, and. Um, I also am able to do autopsy tech work. Wow. And so that was even crazier because the instruments that you use when you're embalming, I feel like are very fine, like, you know, little scalpels and things. And But the other instruments that you use during an autopsy are very barbaric looking. You know? Really? So it was hard. The first time I did an autopsy, we um, it, down in Orange County, there's a morgue there. And I passed out because – and it wasn't the, you know, the uh, – the front it was the the back of the skull they opened up the back and it's peeling the the skin oh, down over the no. face oh, no. i was just like good night um <laughs> but i would have been out cold yeah. i would have hit the floor a long time ago but opening up your your you know you know the body cavity from the front it's like you you have such a respect for your body after because the way that we were put together is just crazy to think that we're upright and walking and living and breathing and i can be in a band and headbang and run around on stage yeah. and i'm just this mess of organs on the inside and like it just it's insane to think that we're all wow. here having a conversation and it was very um i would get in my head a lot thinking i'm about sure it. yeah i did i couldn't even eat meat for a while i'm not i'm not um vegan now but um it was very hard for me to eat meat when i started embalming yeah because well, like, yeah, that's literally yeah. what i'm yeah. opening right. up every day did you get desensitized at all do you think i did and also what i was what i was getting at before is that i have such a reverence for these the dead and so i i am so attached to making them whole again Aww. and i feel like i'm called to um to do that and to help families and, um, you know, in that it's like the hardest time of your life when someone that you are love dies. And if I can make them happy with what I've done to the body and also show respect to the body and make sure that it's as you know perfect as I can do it in the right. embalming process, I think that that's really important. And also to do it with like love and, and, and kindness as you're 
because it's like I said, it's an invasive thing you yeah. know, that you have to do. You're yeah. you're in there doing some crazy shit. So if I can do it with love and respect for the body, that's and really empathy. important to me. And, yeah. and empathy. And so I really loved doing it. And um, obviously, I can't do it anymore because it's a a nine to five plus job. Like you don't ever get any breaks. I couldn't say I'm going on tour yeah. for for eight months. See you later. I'll be back. So what I did was I went back to school online and, you know, whenever I could between tours and now I do grief counseling. That's incredible. So that I'm still helping people, but I can do it from anywhere in the world via Skype and, uh, and all that. So, and, um, you know, I, how was that through the pandemic? Because God knows, yeah. like, it was really heavy. People got really, really depressed during mm-hmm. the pandemic. And they, I think, but having someone to even talk to, I reduced my prices a lot in the pandemic so that I could help as many people as possible. And I was also working with um, a charity foundation oh, nice. that does, you know, counseling for young adults who can't afford it. And so I just felt like it's my duty to kind of help people. Um, I love that. I'm lucky and musicians are lucky and artists because we kind of can kind of self-medicate, you know, that's yeah. our way of, of, you know, you know how to fill your soul our until you can, you know, you until know? you can. I mean, yeah. it's not, doesn't work all the time, but, um, yeah. I feel like I, no matter if I'm shut in, if I'm in quarantine, I still have these things inside myself that I can do. A lot of people don't have that. No. And a lot of people don't have anyone to talk to. It's crazy how many people have no one and it just breaks my heart. Well, grief is a really interesting thing because I guess all of us at some point in our life have, have experienced it. But one of the things that I had an issue with myself personally was expressing my grief because I didn't want to freak anybody out around me. You know, when, when my dad passed, I was so grief stricken, but I noticed that my grief was freaking out everyone around me because they had never seen me like that. And And it's not everyone else's job to be equipped to handle it, which is why you reach out to somebody. And what I always tell people who don't know how to deal with someone's grief, just you don't have to say anything. You can just sit there and hold their hand and listen. Like listening is such a good friendship skill just to be able to say, I'm here with you in this space right now. And I don't have the right things to say. And I'm sorry that I don't know how to magically heal you, but I'm here to listen to whatever you want to say to me and whatever you need to get off your chest. And I, I think that's really important. And then as someone who's grieving, just to be able to kind of, you know, be able to reach out to someone outside your circle, which I think is, is helpful anyways, because having someone to talk to that is not involved in the situation right. or partial right. to it or, um, you know, anything like that. And one thing I will say when I was working at the funeral homes and I worked at a very Catholic funeral home called Holy Cross, a lot of cool people buried there. Uh, Sharon Tate and her baby oh, wow. are there. Oh, wow. Darby Crash, John Candy. I think Bella Lugosi's there. But so interesting. very Catholic place. And um, they would, you know, a lot of people, well, they're in a better place now. They're with God again. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't feel that way. Yeah. It's not as easy yeah. anymore to right. to push it off on religion and say, well, they're in a better place. Because, yeah. from, you know, How do you know? There's, a, there's <laughs> a lot of people who are, you know, not religious. And also even if you're the most religious person in the world, that's the last thing that you want to hear that your daughter who died at 14 of cancer is in a better place now. No, her place is here with me. You know what I mean? So that was one thing that I I really wanted to, with my clients, approach grief in a different way and and not use those simple old, oh, they're in a better place type of things and, you know, just, you know, forget about it and that kind of thing. I really wanted to be able to provide something updated and, and new 
you know. I love that because there's so many times where I've been to funerals and I've heard that yeah. and I always sit there and think, how do you know? Yeah. And it's, a, it's an know? easy thing for people to yeah. say to someone who's yeah. grieving and like, it's the worst thing to say. I yeah. Think. But I, I think that that's so key what you said about, you know, just listening because a yeah. lot of people don't know what to do for somebody who's grieving and they, yeah. they, they, they just don't know what to do. So they don't ask them about it. They don't want to talk about it. Yeah. And, and the hardest thing is when you're grieving is not being able to talk about it yeah. or being worried about the other person's reaction when you completely fall apart. So I think that that's really key yeah. is just l learning to just be there and just listen. Yeah. We all need to learn how to listen a little bit more in yeah. all of our in all situations yeah, I, right. feel. I feel like people True. are so attached to phones now that we don't even know really how to have a nice lunch with our girlfriends without like any you know, social like interaction it, it's like yeah. you know, you're talking but the phone is right here and you're yeah. you, you, you're if you're on your phone constantly like that while we're yeah. at lunch you're not taking in what i'm saying and so i really have tried lately whether i'm at you know whether i make dinner at home with Charlie and his daughter Mia or whether I'm with a girlfriend I try to like look in their eyes and I try to really talk to people instead of just yeah. especially after the pandemic like I feel mm -hmm. like it's so yeah. important to disconnect a little bit yeah and the other thing about grief that I wanted to say was that people always want to associate grief with death and it's not that like over the pandemic too especially I had so many um clients that had just felt like they were losing themselves. Right. They lost their career. They yes. lost, a, you know, um, their, their lives were changing and they didn't know how to handle it or be adaptable. And so that has been a lot of relationships huge have been lost. Yeah. 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 And if you're, yeah. If, if your whole identity is what you do exactly. and you're not working, then you kind of lost your identity yeah. too. I know a lot of people that were so lost. Yeah. You know, and um, how do you how do you say that you're grieving about that? Like mm -hmm. you sound silly if you say, but it's a very very real thing. Yeah, it is, and it's all it's all relative to whatever's going on with the individual. But I saw so much of that through the pandemic. A couple of my friends, you know, got divorced, broke up, lost family members. They couldn't reach out, couldn't see them, yeah. couldn't go. I mean, there's so many so many things. But I think you're right. It's so key to try to connect. And I'm so guilty of that because yeah. I always have my phone. My phone's freaking attached yeah, to we're me. We're all guilty. And, you know, for, uh, for a lot of us, our work is right there. You know, yeah. it's not just like, yeah. it's like, it's you're, like you're walking out with the computer. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I totally yeah. get it. But it's like just, you know, having a little time, a little just to not have it and to like yeah. really connect with people again, yeah. I think is just is, is really important. It's funny. Yeah. I just started a master class in tarot. And one of the things that the, we, we had the first class and the instructor who's a really well-established, I don't know if he calls himself a psychic, but whatever he calls himself, he's been on TV and everything. And he just kind of doesn't do it professionally anymore, except for on, yeah. you know, doing these master classes. And one of the things that he gave us as an exercise is for 20 minutes to sit in a chair with no distractions, literally no music, no other people, no, obviously no phone, anything. And he said that what you'll find is your intuition will start talking to you. Don't like listen to that other voice at first that tells you like, oh, the wash needs to be done or someone's at the door or the dog's barking. What's going on? Like, because that's where you go first, yeah. because we want to be distracted from our own intuition and sitting with ourselves. And I thought that's so fascinating because yeah. 
it's kind of like meditation, but not really, because he really wants you to be in tune to what comes into your subconscious Mm -hmm. from your subconscious and your intuition. And I think that none of us do that. You know, we don't, we don't just sit there and like, let our brain go, you know, and, um, I'm super excited to, I haven't, I just had the class. I haven't tried it yet. Tarot cards. Exciting. Um, I'm super excited. I want to do a set of them. I think that would be so fun to draw. Uh, You know, it's, I think that's such a great, so great. We had, um, Chloe Trahi. Oh, on her. a couple of weeks yeah. ago and she just did a set of tarot cards oh, cool. um she's also french too so the french and the italians they have tarot started in italy and then it went to france so it, the history of it so she has that whole you know and that's kind of her subject matter of her art is very spiritual and and gothic and all of those occult things but it's really cool i think that would be great yeah. it would be really rad What is the one piece of advice for people that are going through any type of loss? What's the one thing that you would say that they should? I I mean, I think people definitely need to talk about it with someone, Mm -hmm. but also when it comes to loss of like a a person, you know, say uh, like with your, with your dad, and I don't know if you do this, but I feel that, you know, having, still having conversations when you need them. Like Mm -hmm. uh, I lost my, my great grandma who I was very, very close to. And if I'm having a hard day and I know that she would have the answer for me, I can call out to her and I can talk to her Mm -hmm. and say, you know, hey, I'm having this issue. And if you were here, I know you would know what to do and what to say. And, Mm -hmm. you know, give me a sign. And just having little conversations with them, I think, is is truly important. And in the past, I think people might have thought that was kind of weird. If someone's dead, they're dead. They can't, you know. But I think, like, realizing that, you know, that person is always with you because they raised you. They they taught you everything that you know. They were a huge part of your life. So, in essence, they are there with you. And they you do have the answers that you need inside yourself when you call to them journaling is really great Mm -hmm. when you're having a bad day a lot Mm -hmm. of grief comes out as anger and i find writing down those angry moments is awesome because you can write down things that you shouldn't say or normally wouldn't want to say and then after your pen stops you know going you just kind of feel you feel better yeah it really helps yeah i agree with you i think writing producer lisa our producer of our podcast uh lisa just released a book a grief journal oh literally a grief journal so that you could you know in that that's one of the things i was saying like where else can you tell your aunt when she says to you oh your mom's in a better place to go to hell yeah you're gonna put it in a write it down in the grief (laughs) journal because you're not gonna start a big family you know but honestly my mom passed away a couple well it's gonna be five years already in august and i have conversations with her all yeah. the time. Yeah. But I was very surprised by the way I reacted. And I think that that's what's so interesting to me about grief was that I saw other people go through it before I did. And I thought their their behavior was so bizarre or their anger. I couldn't understand it because I have issues with yeah. trying to like owning anger anyway. So yeah. but I, I think like, why are they behaving that way? And, it, you know, it's it's the cycle. It's the circle of life. And, you know, if you really loved someone, then and I witnessed Zach lose his mom at a really young age. And Zach is so spiritual that it I'm sure I mean, let's face it, it definitely came out in certain ways. But he was very okay with it which was really surprising. And when I asked Zach about it, he said it's because he felt like you really are 
he really feels you are in a better place. And he feels that he will reconnect with those souls at some point. So it hasn't, his handling of grief was different. And when I went through it, it was so different from what I ever imagined that counseling was the only thing that, I mean, I have people that love me, that I love. I have, you know, my husband, my kids, my girlfriends. I had people that, but it wasn't the same as when I talked to a mm -hmm. counselor. And she basically said to me, but after listening to you, you really have post-traumatic stress disorder. It's, it's, you've been traumatized. You're not feeling actual grief. It's more trauma and we need to work on that. And I would have never known that. And it's just amazing to me that I think like what, what you do doing that is just so, serves such a purpose. It's incredible. Thank you. Yeah. I really, yeah. really enjoy it. And it's kind of similar to what you're talking about, but I, so when I was 16, I worked at a gas station and this woman came and she was just throwing around the gas pump being a complete bitch. She was an older woman and just, I could see her out there screaming her head off. And I was like, right now I got to deal with this person. I'm here at the gas station by myself and I have this bitch out here to go deal with. So, um, she comes running in, this fucking gas pump doesn't work. And I went out and I showed her how to use the gas pump and she started to cry and she said, Thank you. I'm sorry. My husband died and I've never pumped my own gas. And oh, wow. You see, she I was just it's chills. just cr crazy. And I still think about it till this day that changed my life seeing that. And I treated people differently mm -hmm. because you don't know what people are going exactly. through in the moment, really don't. what kind of stress they're under, what kind mm -hmm. of anger they're feeling because of what happened. And, mm -hmm. you know, it may seem completely crazy that you don't know how to pump your own gas. But if you are married to someone and for, you know, 40 years and they die and you never pumped gas. That's yeah. a real thing. And you're stressed out on a number of levels. And it, I, I don't know, like it really changed my life. And I think too, that was part of my whole journey yeah. doing what I do now. And the PTSD too, a lot of people, if they have issues with a family member that dies or a loved one that dies and they never got to, you know, finish conversations, right. that becomes hugely yeah. traumatic. And so as, you know, a grief counselor, I have to help them finish when you know they perceive it as being too late but it's never too late so no. yeah there's there's so much that goes into it that's and, really yeah. beautiful i love that it's true you do you go through different phases of grief you know yeah. you go through the guilt and, the, and you know the sadness and the pain of it and then the anger and there's just so many different stages and it's so great that you're doing this because people can reach out to you and what's a good way for people to connect with you if they so i have a website called good grief la mm -hmm. and i'm on instagram i'm at carla harvey on instagram and also i have a good grief la instagram page okay so which i'm gonna get more involved with i've been slacking off it's so hard to keep up with like social media right? mm -hmm. constant like mm -hmm. every, every day some, a, lot. a new a new yeah type of social media or exactly. you know, something else that they want you to join or do it's yeah. just like wow I don't, yeah i don't know if uh the uh what's the new one the kids are doing it clubhouse twitch but uh i'm on all social media and uh, i plan on doing more with my grief work on my social media this year hopefully <laughs> yeah That's i mean great. with your you could combine your art with your grief work and do yeah. like a cool um book for maybe even for for kids to learn yeah, how so to So I'm writing it. a children's book on grief for um, atheist parents, actually. Oh, wow. Because it's a different, um, a different thing. And when I say I'm an atheist, too, we, you know, you were talking about spirituality a second ago. I'm a spiritual person in tons uh -huh. of ways. I just don't believe in traditional, um, you know, heaven, hell, and, and all that. Yeah, yeah. But I do believe in, like, an energy exchange, you know, when you die. And I believe that, especially after 
I work for hospice as well, and I'm a death doula, and so I help terminally wow. ill patients, and I believe that your soul has to go somewhere. It just, where is the big question? What happens? Nobody really knows yet, but I am very spiritual in right. that sense of the word. You know, it's so, so funny. My brother, he's chemical engineer. He's an incredibly brilliant scientist, and he was stricken with cancer in 1999, and was just like, you know, I'm dying, and, you know, he, he'd always look at me and be like, oh, my sister with her, you know, incense and her and her candles and all her nonsense or crystals or whatever. And I said, I don't care. I'm going to heal you from 3000 miles away. I'm going to go in your room and I'm going to heal you. I'm doing whatever. And he's like, whatever, do whatever you're going to do. And I don't believe in any of it. And I said to him, being an atheist, it's a weird term because so many people that I know that just don't believe in organized religion or a God they might believe in something else. Like and I'm banging his Gilby (laughs) (laughs) his motorcycles up there. And I said I said to him, You believe in science. So you do have a belief system. Mm -hmm. It's just not in angels and devils and God and whatever. So I think that it would be so great if there was another way to coin that. You know what I mean? Like, I think atheism is a scary term for people. It's kind of an evil sounding term for people. Well, it's so final for a lot of people. So it's hard to swallow. But I think that it would be better if it was like, I don't know, some sort of other Mm -hmm. word, because that word I think is like. It doesn't mean you're not spiritual. No, yeah. it doesn't yeah. mean you don't have a belief system. Yeah. So yeah. My, believe my book will center on, you know, why, how it you can be spiritual but not. But in, in teaching kids or what to say to kids when you don't believe in that traditional. Because right. there's a lot of children's book about death, but a lot of them are, you know. Well, grandma's going to a better place. And it's, yeah. That's, yeah. you know, I think there's got to be something cooler for kids, right, to read about. Because kids, yeah. kids do acknowledge death. They can understand it if you speak to them, you know, about it openly. I think it's way better than lying about it. You the know. Kids are actually very resilient with it. Yeah. The weird thing is a lot of people say, like when someone's, you know, because you do hospice stuff, both Barb and I lost a friend recently. And what I noticed was she started like towards the end, she started seeing people like Mm -hmm. in the corner of the room and talking to other people. And a lot of people say that that's when you know that someone is getting ready to pass to the other side because they start to see, yeah, see people. Do you find that? Do you see that? Do you think that's true? So. And I have a couple thoughts on it. And again, here goes my my science mind. Yeah. You know. So do and, you, and yeah. by the way, I'm very into science yeah. myself. Like I believe in God, but I also I'm very like I I need to see You're things open. to yeah. to yeah. believe I'm a lot of the, the times. idea of your loved ones coming to get you. And I have had experiences with people that I've loved and lost visiting me and it feels so real like they're like yeah. they're there like 100 percent. like you couldn't tell me they weren't there but also when you when you're born and when you die are the most traumatic times of your life so your body releases dmt and mm. that's a kind of a hallucinogenic so scientifically in my mind i'm like that's why they're seeing things and seeing and that's why you Mm -hmm. see the light because this dmt is a release in your body and you're hallucinating right um, these people so you know but who's to say if that's right that's what's what it is or if it really is you know your life flashing before your eyes or whatever it is it's definitely going to make it a lot easier when we go yeah whether it's the chemical to let go of the fear yeah Yeah. because the fear i still have a huge fear of dying i think it's the one like aging and dying are probably like my biggest fears, like losing control of my body, not being able to just do the things I love, 
Yeah. Those things scare me to pieces still. Yeah. yeah. I can handle other people's deaths, but not not my yeah. own. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. Yeah. 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 I, I have a fear of that too. And well, aging I, I, fear we have. Yeah. yeah we, we definitely have an aging fear here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the same way. I, I'm terri- more terrified about when I think about like my daughter maybe one day not being here. Yeah. Or, you know, like that kind of stuff really terrifies me. See, I mean, I had a conversation with Charlie about that because I had written a comic book, the wife dies and the father um, of the character kind of goes crazy. And he's like, well, he's got a daughter. He's got something to live for still. So this is not accurate. And I'm like, I don't think that way. I'm not a parent. You know, I'm a stepmom mm-hmm. now, but I'm not a parent. So I don't yeah. have those feelings of like worrying yeah. about, you know, yeah. um, a child and thinking about what's going to happen for them. But it's your child's not supposed to go before you. It's one of right. the no, hardest things not. to worst. ever deal with. Absolute worst. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. It's like, I, you know, whenever you think about that, like when you think about death, you worry about leaving your children or your children one day not being on this earth also. And it just, Oh God, yeah. it's, it's like a never ending cycle. I just turn it off. I go, okay, yeah, that's enough. Yeah. You, yeah. you, you, you almost have to yeah. after self preservation. Cause it's, yeah. You know, that kind of stuff is really, I mean, that's why I like candles for purpose. Yeah. Cause I feel like I have well, control over something. I have nothing yeah. no control over. My fear is because I don't have children is being old and alone and having no one to take care of me. Right. Mm. That like, is a paralyzing fear for me. Like yeah. I just, I, when I get like caught up, if I got PMS or something, I start thinking about that. <laughs> I will literally go over the edge. I like hear, I, yeah. I, I, that's when you need retail therapy. Yeah. That's when you march yourself yeah, off yeah. to a store and go exactly. buy yourself a pair of shoes. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that thought, and you know, I'm, Smart enough to know that just because you have children does not mean that they're going to be there and take care of yeah, you either and all the time. They're going to be like, like, listen, you old witch. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've visited plenty of people in hospice who didn't have anyone. And so I try to be that person for yeah. them. But um, it's still like just, you know, one of those things like who's going to drive me to doctor's appointments? Who's going to, you know, right. all that kind of stuff. And it's just a, a weird thing to think about. And yeah. it hit me one day when I was moving and I was all those stupid toys that I have all over the house. I'm packing them away. And I was like, suddenly I couldn't even move. I'm like, oh my God, why do I even have this stuff? Who's it going to go to? It's just going to be thrown in a trash when I die yeah. in a nursing home by myself, old and alone. <laughs> well, at least you enjoyed it while you were here. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the point is you just enjoy everything. Yeah. While you can. And that's just, you know, really true. It's so have funny. the best journey you can have. <laughs> that's what happens to me that when I'm having like major trauma or, or something that I, I get paralyzed, yeah. I can't function. Like I just get numb. I don't, I don't scream, yell. I, I just like sit there. Like I switch gears immediately. I don't want to deal. I like, I will just be like, Oh, my mind's going over there. Yeah. No, that's got to stop. <laughs> Lucky for you, you. you can do that. That's self-preservation I, right there. That's I good. I'll wall on it for a bit. <laughs> Let's switch this up right now. <laughs> that's great. Or put on Shit's Creek or something really funny. Oh, I love that show. Oh my God. It's so good. Okay. So switching complete gears here. Yeah. Let's lighten this up a little. <laughs> <laughs> so Barb and I are completely obsessed with getting old. And not um, getting old and not, not getting old. Yeah. Not, not looking at not getting old. And we are so always looking for like the fountain of youth or any secret products. Do you have any product that you're obsessed with that you can't live without? So I just got a Morpheus eight treatment. Have you, have you heard of that? It, no. It's similar to what I did with Dr. Araz. Uh, Arazade. it's a, 
um, what was the one he did? Genius. I mean, it's like a similar. Is it a laser? The eight. It's yeah, not a it's laser. A so unfortunately, I can't right? do lasers because of my skin color. Um, mm. So that's one thing that I can't do. I have girlfriends that do laser, and it looks so great. I'm not going to be doing it again because it made my melasma come out. Yeah. So, so interesting. So have you tried Zoe? Yeah. If you have melasma, you have to, have to, have to try. And anyone listening, Zoe skincare. They have two different products that I use on a daily basis because I have melasma. I have hormonal, and then I, I only if, have if I even have like any tiny little mark on my face, it turns hyperpigmentation. It, it, definitely. Yeah, so yeah. same with you. So this so blending cream, and you mix it with retinol at night, and you put it on, and then I'll send you a picture. Of Please it later. do. And then in the daytime, there's a different zone. I mean, I've tried everything. Mm-hmm. This is amazing oh amazing I'm amazing super stuff. excited so i'm super obsessed hey, your with skin it. is lovely yeah so now you did the morpheus 8 and they didn't think that it doesn't heat you so because- it does okay um, and i did get a little hyperpigmentation from it but i used the zo stuff and you you guys probably wouldn't also i think they were a little heavy-handed on me because I, I didn't hurt and it's supposed to hurt and so um they kept saying does it hurt does it hurt and i was like no and they probably like went up to the maximum level which i do have sensitive skin so they probably mm-hmm. shouldn't have but I'm telling you, like the tightening, it lifting does, aspect. I know. What is it though? Is it's it a, a, it's the most widely used skin tightening. So it just okay. kind of like gives a little lift and tightening. I'm kind of like the filler stuff is not for me because I just don't, I can't, my skin doesn't do well with that kind of stuff. So the Morpheus, I'm telling you, I notice a difference right away and it's supposed to get better and better and better. And it just penetrates really deeply. They use radio frequency uh-huh. and um, microneedling. Micro yeah. But it's the it's the best one on the market. And Did you have some downtime? Awesome. Did you? Well, I had downtime because they kind of, they, they went, went extra hard on aggressive. me. <laughs> but I think it's just a couple days typically of having the like little track marks. Yeah, yeah. And they go away. Yeah. But you can still, you know, put makeup over it or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, But you noticed a, a, a difference right oh, away. Dr. Raw, yes. he does that the morpheus eight and doctor or another doctor that we had on the show that we love he did one similar to me it was called genius something i think it's like comparable to the morpheus eight more intense than the original morpheus but maybe just shy of the morpheus eight yeah i don't know but he did say to me it will exasperate your melasma. So start using your so cosmolin. They didn't you know, tell me. They, that's yeah, you the can, thing. You can pre-treat and I, then yeah, do because it, I so. I can't have heat. Anything heat that heats up my skin is going to bring it out. So that's probably so. what happened to me as yeah. well. But the I swear the benefits like outweighed the. the and negative. you had this done I, at a doctor's office. Or? Yeah, you have done a doctor's office and. Um, I had to really search for it. They didn't have too many. I'm, I'm looking the burbs now in Illinois, and they don't yeah. have all the oh, fancy right, stuff. Right. But, um, it's definitely a hundred percent worth it. There's, I, you know, I like to try different things and try different products, and there's not a lot that's worth it. I think anymore. And I, agree. I have a girlfriend that does everything, so she gives me all the, you know, what's going to work and what's not yeah. going to work and all that. But um, that was definitely like what did a they game charge changer. you for? Do you remember? I think you can get a package of like you're supposed to get three like a mm. month apart, you know, yeah, so right. once a month. And I think that each treatment is like eight hundred to a thousand dollars. Yeah, which is not that much considering I think that people do buying a bunch of products that don't work. Products yeah. don't work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's right. some products that do work. Like I, I swear by SkinCeuticals, the vitamin C E mm-hmm. and folic acid. Do, do that mm-hmm. every day, and you know, a good moisturizer. But you know, when it comes to to aging, there's like 
you have to you have to do Botox. You have to do certain things. You can't just like <laughs> yeah. sit there and wish your wrinkles away or put on some you know bio oil on it and hope. Yeah, and pray. that's the thing. It's like, a lot of times well, you could be like Justine Bateman and just just let it go, accept yeah. it. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with that either. You know, I have friends that that intend to go gracefully. And I will say this: I have good genes. I'm super lucky that I'm aging the way that I'm aging. You know, there's just certain things that bug me, like skin laxity, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. Like, no. <laughs> yeah. you know, like the under your chin. There's like, yeah. I, there's, but there's, at a certain point, it's like, do you attack it? Do you go after it? Or do you just leave it alone and like let little things? You know I what I found? Know. This is, a, I, I am going to give you my revelation right now. Oh no. <laughs> do I know this yet? No, I don't think you actually know this yet. But I, every once in a while, I have these revelations. They're like little enlightenments. When I first started aging, like when I hit my 40s, I was like, fine. I, I, I didn't notice the aging that bad in, well into my 40s. Yeah. By my mid 40s, it was like the wheels were falling off the bus. <laughs> Don't tell me that. <laughs> no, but wait, wait, it gets better. It gets better. So by my mid 40s, I started noticing all the crow's feet, all the hollowness, the sagging, the jowls, like all the. And then by like, you know, when I turned 50, <laughs> then it was like the crepiness and all this other stuff. But. Here's the thing that happens to you when you get older. And, and I, I kind of freaking love it. I'm like happy about it because we are recording you. Yeah. I could play this back you for you. You could play this back for me when, I, when, I, when I'm not in such a good mood. But, but what I've noticed is that as things are starting to happen, acceptance. Yeah. Acceptance is starting to take in. It's starting to take place too. Oh, fuck And all no. of a sudden, no, no, no. But I'm, wait. Not, I'm not going there with you. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So here's what I'm trying to, I'm trying to get somewhere here. I'm trying to get somewhere. So but the thing is like, at first, like my crow's feet, I was like obsessed with like my under eye shit. And, and I'm like, obsessed with it like i can't get over it like what can we do what yeah. can, going to the doctor can you put botox can you put filler can you fucking do a laser what can you do to get rid of this under eye shit it's hideous <laughs> but then then i started getting like volume loss and i'm like oh guess what the under eye shit doesn't bother me anymore yeah so you start shifting and then i'm like you know what my face is not bothering me anymore. Now I'm looking at, you know, the creepy skin on my arms. What the fuck is that? And then I'm like, okay, what's happening to my knees? My arms aren't bothering me anymore. I think you get to a certain place where you kind of go, oh, you know what? It's not bothering me anymore. Because I'm at a point right now where I'm looking in the mirror and I'm going, well, what the fuck am I supposed to look yeah. like at my age? You know, I think I look okay well, for living my age. here in LA too. It's hard to know what you're, what Very the fuck you're supposed to look like. Yeah, I'm someone's twenty yeah. or they're seventy. It's it no me a lot mentally moving to Illinois and yeah. even just going to to my gym classes there, my Orange Theory or whatever, and seeing normal people. Like seeing normal people is is a blessing because you must you, be here, like, they you must just yourself be like in awe of you. Well, I went. I went to an office about. To, speaking of lower eyes, that's. I've always had bags under my eyes. My whole you life. You don't have a it's single genetic. bag oh, under I, your eyes. I have, <laughs> I have bags under there, and so I went in for a consultation, and they made me feel like I was like a space alien that was asking for like. I was like, I just want to be like this, 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 and pulling it up. And they're like, Do you realize that you're a pretty girl and you should probably stop? And that kind of talked a little sense into me. But yeah. Um, 
you know, I still want like a lower bluff and like little things, but being around normal people and seeing <laughs> normal aging. Just no one in LA is no, normal. No, well, here you see a bunch of pillow faces and it's, you, you see girls that take it way overboard. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing wrong with filler and Botox and all those yeah. things. But when you take it to like this level of absurdity, and it's 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 stupid and you're just you're making yourself not look like yourself anymore i don't like that yeah i just i, I don't i don't like it either because it, at a certain point you're actually changing your looks yeah. where you're not you know i had a doctor tell me this um a long time ago i i've shared this on the show where i went to go see a plastic surgeon and i and i brought a picture of myself an old picture of me when i was young and i said look at what i used to look like i want to look like i used to look and he said to me, well, you were 20 in that picture. <laughs> You're not 20 anymore. So you were pretty when you were 20. You were pretty in your 30s, you're pretty in your 40s, and now you're pretty in your 50s. Yeah. It's, different. it's different. It's you're never going to look 20 again. And, and if you try, you're going to just to look, look at weird. It. Yeah. There's that's a good way to look at it. There's beauty at every age. age. But exactly. at least you wanted to look like you. Yeah. And yeah. I think that that's the thing like I I find that when people overdo it, they look worse than if oh, they yeah. would have just allowed themselves to look their age. 100%. And fortunately, I have some really amazing doctors that like just the other day I went and I said to the doctor, I'm like, I feel like I'm like my, you know, I used to bitch all the time about having my chipmunk cheeks. Zach always calls it. Which is like such a blessing cheeks. when you get older. And I said to him, I feel like like I'm losing my chipmunk cheeks. I kind of want you to. He goes, no. And I thought to myself, like, I need, I mean, everyone needs a doctor like that yeah. that says no. That says no. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's a lot of doctors out that here that no. will not say no. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, these filters that are on Instagram that are a goof, we were talking about it. I know a lot of people that really look, that like, look that. like that. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. that. that's oh, the, not the a good thing. Everyone's doing yeah, now. With yeah. the <laughs> cheeks and the lips. Kate Hudson yeah, did it yeah. the other day. It was so funny. And I thought, I know a couple people that actually look like that. Yeah. Like, that's sad. <laughs> but, yeah. um, Wanting to look like yourself yeah. is, I think, the goal. It's yeah. just, you know, feel like I think you like want to like look a good like version yourself. of yourself. And there's certain yeah. things, if it's like a genetic thing, like genetic bags, fucking get rid of them. But if it's going to change you to the point of where you're yeah. you're not an individual yeah. anymore. And I think that that's what's changed. Like, I, not everyone should look like Angelina Jolie. You know, not everyone should, you know, say, look my, like I the Kardashians. Look at my friend. Look at my friend. Yeah. I, don't, yeah. I don't like that. And yeah. I feel like we're missing that a lot. Like the individual simple beauty that we all used to have. I mean, could you imagine, I think about our daughters being in your teens or 20s today, what they must go through oh, that everyone, yeah. they think everyone really looks like that. So like much pressure. Everyone yeah. looks like a Kardashian. Yeah. The Kardashians don't even look like the Kardashians. So other than maybe, oh, I want to wear my makeup like her or I like her haircut or whatever, I never wanted to like go to a doctor and transform my face to look like that. Yeah. It must really screw with their brains. We went to go see um, a movie the other night. One of our friends rented out um, the movie theater yeah. at Universal for the night. And because of COVID, you could have, you can rent them pretty cheap and you can have like up to 20 people. So anyway, we went to that. That's not part of the story, but we went to go see um, Back to the Future, the original Back to the Future with Michael J. Fox. What was really striking to me was how pretty and natural everybody looked back in the yeah, 80s. Yeah, of course. Like really pretty. And I said to Frankie, I go, did you see how naturally pretty 
the girls were in this film and had those girls been living in today's times, their <laughs> lips would have been pumped up to high heaven. Yeah. Um, they would have had all this shit in their face already. And they were, yep. all, you know, young in the movies. Yeah. They were all like in their 20s. But even still, they would have been pumped up to high heaven if they were living in today's day and age. I know. It's and craziness. back then, they were just pretty and naturally pretty and not like totally you notice any plastic surgery no. now i'm noticing the no plastic surgery yeah so it, it's, it's really it is it, it's it's crazy it's and the lighting wild. everything was different you yeah. know just it was just you know more real life but genuine you yeah know? Um, yeah we also always ask our guests what do you love most about yourself which is a really tough I one think i know passion i'm super passionate about things and I notice it in other people too like when Charlie talks about something that he loves his eyes light up and I like to think that I'm the same way so I think that that now that I'm older you know is definitely the, the passion that I have for things that's great yeah so. I love that well, um, Carla, this has been quite the episode for us. Yeah, quite the conversation. This was so Thank fun. you. Yeah, it was really fun. And you're just incredible. You have so much information. And I love that you uh, want to be of service and that you share your knowledge. It's it's great having someone like, like you. Everybody needs to be of service. It's something. Whatever your yeah. whatever your thing is, share it with the world. I think that's awesome. I this love is, that. This is mine and Barb's um, service. Yes, this is our <laughs> our our little um, gift. No, it is. You know, it, people, women need to hear other women talk about, especially the last part of stuff that we talked about. Yeah, the aging thing because it is a traumatic thing. It's very traumatic. In and I, you know, it's like I've had a rough go of it. I've had, you know, even like I said, even though with good genes. I still have these thoughts that creep into my head. So it's yeah. nice to hear other people talk about it openly and know that you're not alone. Yeah, no. exactly. You are not alone. We're all going through it. We're all fighting fight. <laughs> yes, um, we are. <laughs> so let's tell everybody how they can get a hold of you, find you on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Sure. I am Carla Harvey across all social platforms. Super easy. Carla Harvey. And then Good Grief LA is my grief counseling profile and pretty girls do ugly things is my art profile oh i like it <laughs> it's uh, so good so good all right well thank you so much thank you, for Carla. you coming in today and visiting with us so if you enjoyed this episode of honest af please make sure to give us a review or a rating subscribe and subscribe and check us out if you have any questions or products that you want us to review or talk about or uh, subjects that you wanted us to talk about, just let us know on our socials. Honest AF Show is our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. HonestAFShow.com is our website. Until next time, take care of yourselves, keep well, and we'll be chatting in your ears soon. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Carla. Thank you, Carla. We um, obviously need to do a disclaimer here. So we want you to know we are not doctors or experts by any stretch of the imagination. We are just a couple of gals that are looking for magical products, procedures, and experiences. And in our quest, we will share our honest as fuck opinions with you. So please make sure before you try anything we talk about that you know your own restrictions and do so at your own risk. Do not blame us for any of your issues. We're just experimenting too.